Okay, good evening. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us. This is our eighth class in the Fundamentals of Prayer series. And I want to talk this evening about praying for others. Um, I think it's, we can say that it's natural that if any of us was walking down the street and we saw someone in trouble who we had the ability to help, so we would do whatever we could to help, help that person. There's nobody, none of us at least would just turn away and ignore someone who was in pain or in, in need. And, uh, you know, if somebody had a wound, we would try to bandage it up, call a doctor, call 911, whatever, whatever was needed, we would do what we can to help. If we saw, if we, if we knew someone who was in financial straits and needed help, and we had that, the ability to help them, then, uh, then we would do what we can if we were able to. And if we couldn't, if we didn't have the financial means ourselves, but we knew someone who might and who we think might be able to, to step up and help them, then certainly we would, we would do what we can to make the connection. We would go to our friend who was wealthy and generous and say, please, you know, there's someone I know who really needs it. We would do whatever we can to assist someone in need. So, or, you know, if we saw someone who, let's say, wasn't the sharpest crayon in the box, didn't always make the right decisions, um, and we, had, we were in a position to advise them in a gentle and kind way that might be accepted, I think we, we would do that. And if there was someone who was spiritually floating and maybe needed a little, a little inspiration, a little connection, and we could inspire them, we could connect them spiritually, connect them to Torah and to God, and we had that, you know, the means to do that, and then we would. We would do whatever we can. So the truth is, writes Rabbi Shimshon Pincus, that we all have the ability to help any of those people in any of those situations. And it may be that we can't help them directly. It may be that we're not in position to we're not doctors. We don't have the medical skills to help someone. We don't have the financial means to help someone. We aren't in position to give someone advice, let's say. But what we can do, what we are all in position to do is to pray to God for help for any other person. And, uh, and God is like, you know, in, in Hebrew, we say lahavdil to distinguish. I don't literally mean to compare, but he's like that, that wealthy friend that we would turn to, to help someone. So we have our own, we have someone that we could turn to, to help someone. If uh, it, it's, God has all, has, has access to all of the, all of the medications, all of the cures, all of the financial help, what wisdom, he, he can grant wisdom to someone. He can, as we've talked about, he can Grant, he can direct someone in, in, in tshuva, in repentance, in return. We have access to someone who can help any other individual in their needs. And, and interestingly, 
the Talmud comments that if we don't help someone by praying on their behalf, the Talmud says that such a person is called a sinner. You look in the, on the source sheets, Brachos 12b, the first source, it says, Rabbi Bar Chinana Saba said in the name of Rav, anyone who can ask for mercy on behalf of another and does not ask is called a sinner. As it is stated, and this is um, Samuel, Shmuel Hanavi, Shmuel the prophet, he tells the people after he, he rebukes them, I think this might be after they asked for a king incorrectly at that time. And uh, he says, as for me, far be it from me that I should transgress against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. He says, if I don't pray for you, then I am transgressing against the Lord. That's what Shmuel says to the people. And we see from there that if we have the ability, that if we're in position to pray on behalf of another, which is almost all the time, unless we're, we're incapacitated, but otherwise any of us has the ability to pray for another and we don't. So it says, the Talmud states that, we, that, that such a person is considered a sinner. And Rabbi Pincus explains, he says, why is such a person, what's, what's, you know, what's wrong with that? Why is such a person a sinner? So he says, there's, there's two possibilities why someone doesn't pray. Either because they lack faith in God, that God can, would, would intervene, that God can do something, that God listens to prayers and that's a, lacking, that, that's a lack of faith in God. That's its own sin. That's its own problem. Or, um, or the person just doesn't care about the other person. They just turn, a, you know, turn away. They turn a blind eye. And they don't take notice of the needs of others and doesn't help. And that's its own, you know, its own problem. Yes, Miriam. Well, how about a third option? You don't think your prayers are going to be worth anything or worth the time right okay so very good question what if it's not because you doubt you don't have faith in god but you don't have faith in yourself you think that your your prayers are uh, are not good enough so okay if that's the reason then maybe that's not a, i mean it's probably just singing a different way you know to lack faith in ourselves is its own uh its own sin but uh right it's, i would say it's it's a different kind it's not as grave but we should all recognize, and I hope by now we do, after, you know, in class number eight, that all, any of our prayers can be, can be effective and, and, uh, and can, be, can have tremendous power. And nobody should lack faith in, their, in themselves or in their own prayers. And so it's really applicable to, to all of us. Judith, did you want to say something? Um, I mean, just, just if, if you had a minute. Um... Just I, as a nurse, I've been in a lot of positions to um, pray on behalf of someone, it's, it's, um, especially, well, especially any time, but especially COVID time when visitors and family couldn't be there. Um, be there. But anyways, this is just kind of a, I don't know, it's not really, it's not funny, but it's kind of a, in a way funny, but um, when my dad, my dear father was at Holy Cross Hospital a while ago, I was staying there like 24 seven in the lobby. I was just sleeping in the lobby. But anyways, there was this poor, poor woman. She was just, you know, crying and whatever. I called the ICU and, you know, you know, 
I am forming a prayer group in this Catholic hospital. It just makes me laugh inside. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, as a nurse, I can imagine, right, there will be lots, lots of situations where you'll see someone in need. And, and, uh, and if you can pray for such for these people, it would be it's, it's wonderful. So and and what happens, though, is, you know, at, I think after after a time, maybe we become a little bit numb, especially in the world that we live in now with uh, social media and WhatsApp groups and all this, like we're kind of inundated with with requests for 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 prayers. Um, and uh, and it can be hard to, to, to always be responsive to uh, to all these requests, you know, websites blasting, you know, uh, pray for this person or that person. I mean, I guess it depends where you travel on the Internet, but but I think certainly if there's if there's some kind of, of, of connection whatsoever, you know, a person who knows someone, whatever it might be, then uh, then our, our response should try to be to to, you know, to say to whisper a quick prayer. It doesn't have to be the, you know, that we take off the day from work to, to pray for someone. But, but when we, when we hear of someone in need, the, the Talmud here is, is indicating that we should, we should try to respond to that. We should, we should feel for them and realize that our prayer actually can make a difference. Um, and, and it comes down to, says Rabbi Pincus, it comes sort of down to, um, getting used to this, to accustoming, accustoming ourselves to, to praying for others or to praying. He, you know, he gives the example, you're walking down the street and you see someone, someone handicapped. So you say a prayer for them that they should, they should, they should improve. You see someone who's, uh, who's poor, you, you can whisper a prayer for them. And, uh, and this is, uh, this is, a, a response that that really the the sages are calling for. If you look at the second source, a very interesting passage in the Talmud. This is talking really in the context here is actually the, the, the Torah has a prohibition of engaging in what's called darke amori, which is like the ways of the Amorites, which is basically like superstition. Um, so so there's certain superstitious activities or any superstitious activities which don't have a basis in, in Torah and tradition. So those are, those are forbidden. So the Talmud has the following passage. It says, a tree that sheds its fruit prematurely, prematurely, one paints it and colors it with red paint and loads it with stones. That's, that's what it says. It says to, that's what one should do. And this is a, a Torah source saying this, paint it and uh, color it with red paint and load it with stones. So the Talmud challenges this. How could, how could the sages be telling us to do this? Isn't that superstitious to paint the, uh, to paint the tree with written red? So it says, granted, I understand why he's allowed to load it with stones because that actually has a benefit. There's a, uh, a, a agricultural biological reason to be, to be loading the tree with stones. He does that so that its strength will weaken so if the, if the tree is, I guess, is ripening or shedding its fruit prematurely, so somehow putting, putting extra weight on the tree is going to improve. I can't explain the, uh, the but that, 
that has a, a scientific explanation, the Talmud says, that we can understand. However, painting it with red paint, what healing is he performing with that action? That seems to be superstitious, to paint red paint onto a tree. How can the Talmud say that you should do that? How can the sages say? So the Talmud answers, he does so, not because he thinks that the red paint is going to somehow improve the, the tree's production. Rather, he does so that people will see the tree and pray for mercy for it. As it is taught in the, in, in the Brita, that the sages teach elsewhere with regard to the verse, the leper, someone who has taras, his clothes shall be ripped and the hair on his head shall grow long and he will put a covering upon his upper lip and will cry impure, impure. He cries out, he declares his situation that he's impure. And the Talmud explains, he publicizes the fact that he is ritually impure because he must announce his pain to the masses and the masses will pray for mercy on his behalf. So there's this concept, what we see from here, you know, thinking about the, you know, the case of the, the person who has tsaras, who has the spiritual leprosy. So he's declaring, you know, he's announcing, look, I, I, I have tsaras, I'm tame tame, I'm impure, I'm impure. And that way people will pray for him. But perhaps more interestingly is the tree. The, the Talmud is saying, is telling us that, that it seems it was normal in those days if you had a, some sort of problem with your, with your field. So let people know about it. Why? So they'll pray for you. If you walk by and you see someone has a tree painted red, painted with a red line, you know what it means. You know what it means? It means pray for him, right? Unbelievable. So, so the, the, what the Talmud is showing us is a certain way of looking at, at things, a way, of, a way of looking at the world, a, a way to walk down the street, right? When you walk down the street, you see someone in need, pray for him or her. Right? That's, that's what it's telling us. So we have this, so we have here this, this tremendous lesson to, uh, to pray for others. If, if we're supposed to pray for their, for their tree, for their field, for their sustenance, then certainly also we should pray for their health and their, their wisdom and whatever it might be. If we see that there's someone who has a need, then we should feel we should, we should feel their pain, feel that, and, uh, and, and our reaction should be to try and pray for them. Um, now, elsewhere in the Talmud, we find a very interesting teaching. This is what I want to focus on for a few minutes. The, 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 the teaching is as follows. You can see it on the source sheet as well, number three. This is in the Talmud in Baba Kama. There it says, Rava said to Rabba Barmari, from where is this matter derived? Whereby the sages stated, anyone who asks for compassion from heaven on behalf of another, and he requires compassion from heaven concerning that same matter, he is answered first. So if somebody has a need, but instead of praying for themselves, they pray for someone else who has the same need, so the Talmud says that that person, the person praying is answered first. I don't think the, the point is that they're answered first, but that is a way to have our own needs answered. When we pray for another and we have the same need, the Talmud teaches we can have our prayer answered. It says, where is this derived from? This is apparently something that was, that was known. The stages had said it. So he quotes a verse in Eov and Job, Job says, and the Lord changed the fortune of, of Job, of Eov, when he prayed for his friends. 
So you see, when he prayed for his friends, God changed his fortune. The Talmud actually goes on and brings another source from Abraham, from Avraham. Avraham prays for Avimelech and uh, the king of, uh, of the Pushtim of the time. And, uh, and Avimelech is cured and all the women in the house are cured and they're able to have children. And then Sarah, Avraham's wife, becomes pregnant and there's, a, there's an implication that it was because of his prayer on behalf of Avimelech that he, their own needs were answered and Sarah, Sarah became, became pregnant. Yes, Sue. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> does the same concept apply if someone is um, praying for somebody who has a kind of underlying related problem, but it's not the same problem? So that's a very interesting question. The, the, it specifically says, um, it specifically says, and they have the same need. I think we can certainly say it's still good to, to pray for someone, even if it's a different need. And I'm sure it can help us answer our own, our own need. And we'll see. We have to understand this, really. And we'll see. I think based on our explanations, I'm not sure how much it makes a difference if it's really the same need or not. The, the idea mainly will be that we're praying for another person that can help us have our own, our own prayers answered. So but, it's, it doesn't have to be any particular words that we use or just no, what we think no. about or what we... Praying for someone else, talking okay. to God and saying, please help this person, whatever their, their need might be. That's, that's all it takes. Okay. Um, Rabbi? Yeah. Uh, this reminds me of the nice story you shared with us last week about this lady. Yeah, where she was praying for others. For others. And that's true. Her own uh, blessing came through. Right. Very good. Thank you. Yeah. So, so I, let's, let's pose the following question. And, and, and I, I, you know, I think I've had this question before, but it's more interesting because I, I saw it raised on a, on a forum um, online. You know, there's these different, uh, you know, just like you have um, like, uh, you know, Quora or different things for all sorts of, question science, you know, you could go to a form getting an answer for, for, you know, how to fix your computer or your printer or whatever it might be, your car. So there's forums about Torah as well. And somebody raised a question on a forum and I'll just read it to you. I mean, I'll translate it's in Hebrew, but he wrote, he said every week in the, in the, a certain newspaper in Israel, he's, he sees every, he says every, basically every Tuesday he sees a public ad that there's a certain number that uh, it's it's called the, and the, the 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 name of the hotline is whoever prays for their friend is answered first. That's the name of the of the hotline, and he says basically the idea of this of this uh, hotline is that you call up and you give a you give your name and you get a name to pray for. So. So you get a name to pray for someone else and then you give your name so someone else is praying for you. And that way everybody is praying for someone else and nobody is praying for themselves. So they actually have something like this locally as well. And, uh, and he's, he asks on the forum, he says, I wanna know what people think. He says, is this just a joke about uh, you know, a mockery of what the sages have, have, have taught us here? He says, certainly the intent of, of our sages was 
when they said that if you pray for another, you get answered, it wasn't just to have like a little, uh, like a trick, you know, you know, I, I need my prayers answered. So let me, let me pray for someone else. Then I'll get my prayers answered. Right. That wasn't the, the, the point here. He says the point was obviously that one should pray from the depths of their heart for their friend unselfishly, not because they just want to get their own prayers answered. So, but, uh, but if my whole purpose of praying for someone else is just so that I can get my prayers answered. So he says that, uh, that doesn't really sound like the, the intent of, of what the sages are teaching. He wants to know what is, what do others think about this? So this is what I want to explore for a few minutes is, is can we, you know, is there a, like a gimmick here that we can, we, we, we need something answered. So let me just pray for someone else and then I can have my prayer answered or does, uh, you know, does, is it, is it sort of, um, if I, if I happen to pray deeply for someone else without any thoughts of myself, then it can help to have my own prayers answered. But I can't deliberately do this to try to get my prayers answered. That's the that's the question. I think we'll see different sources that that point in uh, in both directions. But let's just explore what some of the commentaries say about this idea in general. Why why does it work this way? What's what are the sages teaching us? Why is it that when we pray for another, then we get our own prayers answered? So. So one of the earlier sources that discusses this is Rabbi Yehuda HaChassid, who lived, I think, in like the, the 12th century, maybe. Um, I didn't look up the exact dates, but, uh, but he's the author of a work, Sefer Hasidim. And, uh, and this is well before what we know modernly as, as Hasidim, but this is, uh, Hasidim just means sort of the righteous, the book of the righteous. And, and there he talks about this this idea and he kind of limits it and he says that even though we find that eov job prayed for his friends and therefore got his prayers answered and avraham prayed for avimelech the king of the pushtim and got his prayers answered he says but that was specifically over there because they were praying for someone that they didn't like it wasn't just that they were praying for someone else he says, if you look in the book of Eov, you look at the context, those were, those were like his enemies that he was praying for. And the same thing with, with Abraham and Abimelech. They, they were not on the, the best of terms. They were not the best of friends. And, uh, and it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't like his, his good friend and his dear close relative or anything that he was praying for. He was praying for someone that he actually didn't like. And... Rabbi Yehuda Chassig understands that that's what made it so unique. And that seems to be where we apply this idea that it's such a tremendous merit to go so far as to pray for someone who you, you don't get along with, someone you don't like, someone who's an enemy. That's where, where this, this idea applies that, that if, if you pray for someone in that situation, that gives, gives, that would give us tremendous merit that we can now get our prayers answered. So it just shoots us up in the, you know, in the, in the merit, merit points with God. And that's, that's the, that's what gets it answered. So according to that, it's very, very limited, actually. It's very specific. And, uh, 
and certainly wouldn't apply to these telephone hotlines to people we don't even know. Um, but unless you can just take the idea sort of and say, well, just like it can work for someone you don't know, someone you don't like, maybe it could work for someone you don't know. Maybe it's better because it's someone you don't know. I don't, okay, I don't know. I don't know exactly how it works, but that's, that's his explanation. But there's another explanation and that is offered by the Mabit, Rabbi, Rabbi Moshe Ditrani, who we've actually quoted a number of times. And the Mabit is the, the author and the, the one who presents the, an idea that we've discussed at length. And he keeps coming back to, and he comes back to it here again. And that is the idea we start, we learned it on the, the very first week and we've repeated it often that ultimately the, the goal of prayer is not necessarily to get our prayers answered. The goal of prayer is for us to reach a level and, and, a, and a, a knowledge and an appreciation that God is the one who is in control of everything. And that we're speaking when we pray, we're talking to the master of the universe, the one who holds the keys, who holds all the answers to our prayers if he if he so you know, wishes and determines that that's what's, what's best for us. But the purpose, the ultimate purpose of, of a prayer is not necessarily to get the results that we're asking because God knows if that's the, the best thing for us, but rather to bring us to this clarity and this understanding that, that God is in control. And so he says that when we pray for our, ourselves, for our own needs, so there's always going to be something mixed in there, which is that, that desire to have our, our own needs fulfilled. It's not as pure. It's not purely to develop this sense, this awareness. There's something mixed in which is this, this need, this personal, personal need, personal desire for whatever it is that we're praying for. He says, but when we pray for someone else, um, then that's a different story. When we pray for someone else, there's no selfishness involved. There's no personal need or personal desire involved. We're, we, we can relinquish that. We're, we're free of that. We're purely praying for... It's, 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 it's purely about someone else, not about ourselves. And in that state, it's a, it's a pure, a more pure prayer. It's more purely focused on God. You are the one who is in control of everything. And there's, there's no personal interest there at all. And therefore it's loftier, it's greater. And it, uh, it's, it's more effective. And so he says that, um, that therefore the one who's praying can have his or her personal need, personal prayer answered first, because I think he's saying because of the, 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 the loftiness, the level that, of that, that prayer has reached. When there's a personal interest, when there's a personal desire, there's always gonna be a little bit lacking in the prayer because of that. Because it's not all about, you know, reaching that level of acknowledgement of realizing that God is in control. But when, when it's not about us, it's about someone else. So then we don't have that personal desire 
mixed in, it's a greater prayer and therefore it, it can be even more effective than when we're praying for ourselves. That is the, what the, what the Mabit says. And according to that, it's still, it still doesn't work to do it deliberately for, you know, in order to get this, this, this gimmick still shouldn't work, right? Because the whole point, according to him, is that it's not about us at all. If we make our prayer not about us at all, so then it's a loftier prayer. It's a greater prayer. And, and, but if we're doing it specifically, you know, we're just praying for someone else so that, so that uh, we can end up being answered first, then again, that's just, that's just back to square one. That's not, uh, we, we haven't uh, divested ourselves of that, of that personal interest. It's not quite that lofty, lofty prayer. So according to him as well, it would seem that uh, that a person when if they're it, 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 this 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 uh, this idea of the sages is specifically where we're not having ourselves in mind. It's really where we're focused on completely and utterly on the other person. And there are commentaries who write this explicitly. The Chidar of Chaim David Azulai, he says that one has to specific, in order to tap into this, one has to specifically concentrate on their friend's need and, uh, and not be thinking that, oh, and, and as a result, it will work for me too. If somebody's thinking like that, then according to him, this, this does not work. However, I did mention that there is, there are gonna be different opinions about this. So there, there is what seems to be an indication that even when we were thinking a little bit about ourselves, it can also be effective. And that comes from a comment of one of the, the great commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch, on the Code of Jewish Law, the Magin Avram. And uh, he's writing in, in, in the context of, of a certain prayer that, uh, and he basically, he writes that the, the version that he had had it in, in the order that we first pray for ourselves and then we pray for others. That's how the version of this prayer that he's commenting on was. And he writes that it should be the other way, that the version, the, the, what it should say is first that we pray for the other person and then that we pray for ourselves. And uh, he says, the reason is because we need to first pray for our friend and only afterwards pray for ourselves. And, uh, and, and the reason is this reason that before we pray, it's more effective, he's saying, to first pray for our friend and then pray for ourselves. Because when we first pray for our friend, then we can be answered more easily. So we shouldn't first pray for ourselves and then pray for our friend. We should first pray for our friend and then pray for ourselves. But what, what he seems to be saying is that it's okay to mix these two things in, right? That we can we can pray for our friend with the hopes that then it will help us get our own prayers answered. So what I would say, you know, is as follows. It's certainly the, the, the best would be, we want to tap into this teaching of the sages. The best would be to concentrate completely on someone else's needs, to not do it just so that we can have our own prayers answered. Um, and uh, that would be the most effective. That makes the prayer the most the most pure. And uh, and I guess according to that one opinion, if you can find someone you don't like to pray for, even better. Um, but 
but but not only that really more seriously you know anytime like we're saying anytime we see someone someone in need let's pray for them you know just it doesn't have to take up the whole day just something something quick something that 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 shows that we care and 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 acknowledges to god that we understand that he's in control and he can he has the the power to alter the course of things for for anyone and uh if if we find ourselves in a situation where we also are hoping that it will help for us so it seems that there's that that's okay too and of course we have to have a good story to go with this so this story comes from a book by rabbi yechiel spiro it's a book of true stories and uh he writes the story about a couple named Ruving and Leah Wahlberg. I'm not sure if that's real names or if he changed their names. And, uh, and similar to the story that we mentioned that we had last week, which Chaya Miriam mentioned, they, they were childless for many years. And it, it was very difficult, you know, especially living, you know, watching their, their friends and their, their siblings raise families. And uh, it was very challenging for them. And, uh, and it's hard. They go to, to a, an event, a celebration, and people will make assumptions about them, and, and it could be heartbreaking. And one day, um, a friend suggested to the father, to he wasn't yet a father, to the, to the husband, his name was Ruvain, that he go see, go visit a certain Hasidic Rebbe. And he wasn't a, chas a chassid. He wasn't the type to, he wasn't the rabbi type, the type to go to a rabbi to get a bracha, to get a blessing. He had never done this before. He'd had opportunities, but it wasn't, it wasn't what he was brought up with. Um, but it happened to be that day was a very hard day for him. One of, his, one of his friends who had gotten married at the exact same time, around the same time, was making a bar mitzvah. So it means he was now married for about 15 years and hadn't yet had a child. So he was, you know, feeling down and, and he said, okay, fine, he'll, uh, he'll go see this, this Rebbe. So he waited in line to, for the blessing from, from the Rebbe. People come for all sorts of things to, to see a, a Hasidic Rebbe. And, uh, and he was skeptical, you know, he's gonna unload his troubles on someone he's never met, someone he doesn't know. But when it was his turn, his name was called, he decided, you know, he went in. And uh, the Rebbe was quiet at first, his eyes were closed, he seemed to be praying, davening, or deep in thought. And then he opened his eyes and he greeted Ruvain warmly. Ruvain waited till the, the attendant left the room, so they, it would be private. And he started to describe his situation to the Rebbe and how painful it was and how difficult. And he went into great detail and he found, he got very emotional. He was crying by the time he was finished and he was begging the Rebbe for help, you know, and for to give him a, a blessing. So this Rebbe looked into Ruvain's eyes and he waited till he, he composed himself and he pulled him close and he held his hand and he looked into his eyes and he, he said, you know, 
I know exactly how you feel. He said, I have a son and a daughter-in-law and they've been married for nearly 15 years. And they describe their situation exactly how you do. Because they also have not married to have a child in their 15 years of marriage. And they've cried endlessly. They've prayed. They've begged for my bracha, for my blessing. But I've never really had an answer for them. Until now, he said. He said, I just thought of a wonderful idea. He said, we have a tradition that if, if somebody prays for their friend, prays for another, so they can be they can get their prayer answered as well. Again, the saying is answered first, but it doesn't have to doesn't have to be first necessarily. So he looked at Ruving and he said, "How about this? What if you pray on behalf of my children, of my son and his wife, and I'll ask them to pray on behalf of you and your wife, and let's see what happens." So. Ruving was very surprised. He was not expecting this. He was expecting, you know, he's going to the Hasidic Rebbe. He was expecting some kind of, you know, bracha or some kind of, you know, trick or Kabbalistic, you know, something, something else. But this was, uh, this was very simple. And he said, you know, and, and very human and, uh, and, and he saw that this 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 Rebbe also had challenges. He also had it wasn't it wasn't his own his own, but it was his kids couldn't have children. And everybody has their own has their own challenges. But uh, but sometimes what the Rebbe was telling him was that if we put aside our own challenges, our own difficulties, and we focus on those of another, then it could be that we will ultimately see our own challenges and difficulties taken care of as well. And, uh, and the end of the story is that within a year, both of these families welcomed children into the world. And, uh, and again, after like 15 years, 15 years of marriage. Now, I, I tell you this story not because every time we do this, it's always going to work. You know, God decides when a person's prayers will be answered. But I, I tell the story because we should know that, that it does work and sometimes it does work. And, uh, and that's very powerful for us to realize that prayers, God hears our prayers, God, God listens to our prayers, God answers our prayers. Sometimes, you know, it's exactly what we were asking for. And like we spoke about in, a, in an earlier class, even when we don't see the results, the prayer is not wasted. It could be saved for some future thing. It could be that it's answered in a different way than we would expect. But uh, prayers are powerful. And, uh, and when we're praying for another, it seems that they can be even, even more powerful. Okay. So we're gonna now move to a little bit of the Shmona Esrei liturgy. So we're looking now at the eighth blessing if somebody doesn't have the source sheet, I'm just gonna drop it into the chat one more time because it doesn't stay there if you come later. And uh, you can open that up and we're looking at the eighth blessing. And this is the blessing actually for, for Rafua, for healing. And uh, 
Judith, did you want to ask a question or is that hand from before? Okay. Um, so, so the, the blessing of, for healing, which uh, begins, Rifa'inu Hashem v'nei Heal us, Hashem, heal us, God, and we will be healed. Hoshienu v'nei deliver us, save us, and we will be saved, deliver us, and we will be delivered. Ki sehilaseinu atta, for you are our praise. So this, uh, this blessing, um, actually, those, those words that I just read, are based on a verse in, in Yermia, in Jeremiah, which says the same thing, just in singular form. It says, Hashem, heal me, O Lord, and let me be healed. Save me and let me be saved, for you are my praise. And, uh, but what, what, the, what the sages who composed the, the Amidah, the Shemang Esri, what they did was they made it into, they took the verse and they made it plural. And we should note that all the blessings of the Shemang Esri are Plural. So while we've spoken tonight, we spoke we spoke about praying for others. Most of the time, most of what we've spoken about in previous weeks was mostly about, or a lot of it was about praying for ourselves. Um, but but the truth is that in the in the Amidah in the Shemang Esrei, everything is in plural, because we're really always praying not just for ourselves but also for others. And we may at times feel that a certain prayer isn't so applicable to us on a given day. We. If we think about it, maybe we could find a way that it is. But if not, it's certainly applicable to someone else. So we, we would be praying for, for someone else if, uh, you know, if we're in good health today. And maybe we don't even know someone who's, who's sick, which would be wonderful. But there's still people who are sick. We can still pray for others, even if we don't know of one. And the same thing with all of the, all of the blessings. So, so this one says, Rifa'inu, which means cure us. God, and we will be cured. Heal us and we will be healed. Now, what does that mean? Isn't it obvious that if God heals us, then we will be healed? Heal us and we will be healed. So what is this, what, what is the saying? So I'm going to offer two possible explanations. Now, like I mentioned, I think last week or the week before, when we give two explanations for something, it doesn't mean that we should be thinking you know, as we pray necessarily, well, according to this person, this means this. And according to this person, it means this. But I'm going to offer two, two possible explanations. And maybe you'll like, you'll prefer one, or maybe one day you'll focus on one, one day on another. So, so one idea actually comes from the Zohar. The Zohar says that rifua, a cure, can come through a messenger, such as a doctor. Now, it's always coming from God, but sometimes God sends it through a messenger, like a doctor. And sometimes it comes directly from, from God. Without a messenger, someone could heal on their own. So the Zohar says that the difference is that healing that comes from a doctor can still come back. The sickness can still come back. But healing that comes directly from Hashem, from God, doesn't come back. So that's what it means that, that when we pray, heal us and we will be healed. Meaning we're saying, God, heal us directly in such a way that we will be healed permanently, that this won't, this, do, this doesn't return. That's one explanation. Another explanation comes from Rabbi Avraham, the son of the Gra, 
of the Vilna Gaon, the son of the Vilna Gaon. And he understands that it means, you know, sometimes God sends us a cure, um, a medicine, a certain surgery, a certain exercise schedule. He sends us a, or maybe a vaccine, right? He sends us a way that we can access a cure for something. And, uh, and, but sometimes we don't take advantage of it, whether because we think the doctor's wrong or we, I'm not saying a doctor can never be wrong, but, but you know, the, in a situation where they're right and sometimes we still might not take advantage of it. We, uh, we might be too lazy to, to, you know, to follow the, the instructions. We might not understand the instructions properly. There could be many reasons why, even though we've been sent a cure, but we don't actually have the ability or we don't actually take advantage of it. And so we pray that God, you know, heal us, meaning send us, send us healing, send us a cure, and also place within our minds the, the, the will and the means to accept the cure that you that you've sent us. So, so that's the this double language. Why does it repeat? What does it mean? Heal us, and we will be healed. What we mean is send us send us healing in such a way that we will be healed, and that we'll be able to receive it. We'll have the will to, to accept it. We'll have the understanding and the knowledge to accept it. That's that's what we're praying for here. So again, two explanations. The first one is that we're saying heal us directly, because when God heals us directly, it's permanent, it doesn't return. Heal us and we will be healed. And the second is heal us and put in our minds the, the will and the ability to, to accept that, that healing that you've sent us. Then we go on and we say, which means here it's translated, deliver us and we will be delivered or save us and we will be saved. What's that? What's, what's the difference between heal us and we'll be healed and save us and we will be saved? So Rabbi Schwab explains that this refers to certain, you say he calls them spiritual diseases, um, emotional fears, apprehensions, frustrations, bitterness, things that can result um, as... At, because of a lack of faith. If a person has complete faith in, in God and that God is guiding things and that think everything that happens is only because God willed it to happen and God personally watches over each and every one of us, so, so our perspective can change. We won't be beset with worries in the same way. We won't be beset with, with anxiety and uh, fear and apprehension, because we know we're in, we're in God's hands. Whatever it is that's happening, it's God's will. It's ultimately happening for a reason, and uh, this this itself could be could be a cure. So from from those fears and apprehensions and anxiety. So so we say, God, deliver us, save us from these types of 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 feelings which can result from a lack of faith in you. And then we say, because you are 
our praise. What, is, what does that mean? So Rav Schwab actually understands it that this is very similar to something we've said about an earlier blessing. When we, when we talked about the, the blessing where we ask God to help us in our daily challenges. So there also we, we learned that we, we say, um, we say, redeem us for the sake of your name. And the way that we explained that was that we, we are saying that God save us, help us in our challenge, and we will acknowledge that it came from you. We will recognize that it came from you. It will be leman shemecho, be for the sake of your name. So here it's a similar thing. We say, heal us and save us and deliver us because you are our praise. Or as Rabbi Schwab says, it is because our whole praise will be you. In other words, we're saying that if we are cured, we're not going to take credit for ourselves. We're not going to credit only the, the great work of the, of the doctors and, and uh, you know, modern medicine, but, uh, but we'll recognize that, all of, that this only exists, that they are mere messengers, and it only exists because it's your will, and uh, it's not because of us or because of the doctor, but because of God's will. It will be a praise to God. We will praise you, God, for delivering us and for healing us. Um, we could even be saying to God, heal us so that we will praise you, so that people will praise you. We're kind of saying, God, you know, do this and then look what's going to happen. It's going to be a great result because when somebody has a great recovery, so there many people praise God, not just the person themselves. So we say, it could be that we're saying either, again, the two, the two possibilities that I'm suggesting are either we're saying that that heal us and we, we, we will recognize that it comes from you, or we're saying heal us and that will bring about praise of you from so many people because people will recognize that it comes from you. And then we say, which means bring about a complete recovery to all of our, all of our afflictions. Here it says, grant a complete healing to all our afflictions. And uh, so this, this expands it to all types of afflictions. So if, you, if we understood that um, the previous, um, when we first were asking, we were talking about physical. Um, now we could be talking about spiritual afflictions, you know, sort of spiritual sickness, if you understood the earlier blessings to be more related to spiritual, this one could be about physical. This is kind of filling in the blanks that whatever is not included before, now all afflictions, God, bring about healing for, for all afflictions. And we say, which is a whole list of things. We say, for you are a kel, in Hebrew it's el, it's, which means a powerful God, but we've explained before, powerful in kindness, and uh, powerful in kindness that he can, that he can allow mercy to override justice, even if we're not deserving. Um, it could be powerful in kindness to cure sicknesses that are even beyond, I shouldn't say even, but that are beyond the, the ability of, of doctors, of modern medicine, but God, you're, 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 you're powerful in kindness and you can, you can cure that. So you are Kel, you're powerful in kindness, you're Melech and you're king of the world. 
And as king of the world, you have access to any, any means to bring about a cure. You know, a doctor might, uh, might not have access to certain things. They might not have been invented yet, but also it could be that, you know, he can't, can't get certain medicines, can't get certain, certain machinery, whatever he might need. But, but God, you have, you're king of the world. You have, you have access to any, any cure, any, you have the means to bring about any, any salvation. And furthermore, um, we say as king, God, you can, you can bring a cure even if we're not deserving. That's a king, you know, can, can, can say, you know, if somebody is, 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 is sentenced to certain punishment, the king has the ability to, to override that. And that's what we approach God. We say, King, even if we deserve this for some reason, you're the king. You can, you can um, pardon us. And we then refer to God as Rofe Neeman, a trustworthy healer, a reliable healer, which could mean either that he's constantly healing, he's reliable to constantly heal, or it could mean that he's he's trustworthy that he's an expert healer. God doesn't, doesn't mess up, right? He doesn't need uh, malpractice insurance, right? It's, uh, he's, he's an expert. He's a, he's a trustworthy healer, virachaman and merciful, merciful even if we brought it upon ourselves somehow, we weren't careful, we got ourselves sick, whatever, you know, we, we got ourselves injured for doing something stupid, whatever it might be. God, you're merciful. Even if it's our, our fault, we can uh, we can turn to you for for a cure, and then we close the blessing. Baruch Hashem, you are the source of all blessing. God, Rofe, which is in present tense, you're the you are the one who heals continuously. God is constantly healing, constantly curing, constantly maintaining our health, and you are the Rofe Cholei Amo Yisrael. We invoke that we are part of his nation, Israel. We invoke here when we're asking for God's mercy, God, we are, we are your, your, your children. We are your chosen people. We have a special relationship with you. And so we, we invoke that as uh, in our request for, for healing. You know, we say, God, we, we are your, your children and therefore we turn to you for, for salvation, for, for a cure, for healing. So this is the eighth blessing. And, uh, and again, we can, we can pray it for ourselves. We can pray it for, for others. And what we learned tonight is that there's a special, a special, in Hebrew, we use the word sigula. There's a special power to praying for others and praying you know, fully and completely for others, especially without our own uh, interests in mind, without our own needs in mind. And that has that that type of prayer has special power. That uh, the result can be that even though we didn't even pray for ourselves, that our own needs our uh, our own needs are answered. And so we pray that uh, all of our prayers should be answered. Okay. Good question. Oh, go ahead. <laughs>